It feels good to be back. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing Joe Budden's return to Complex. From there, there was a legendary man that brought the walk to Poland. We're going to be talking about that too. Briefly going over the BET Awards, winners' performances, and some discussions to be had on award shows. Y'all know my gripe with it. Also going to be breaking down streaming numbers, billboard entries, records, anything relating to statistics and numbers in hip-hop. I got artists lined up to, you know, talk about some of their accomplishments. Going on from there, Logan Paul calling Bad Bunny out over tax loss. This is going to be just a straight entertainment piece when we get to it. Then, DJ Dramas, best Drake verse over the past couple years. Can you take a wild guess on which one he's going to choose? Take a second. <laughs> We're going to talk about it later on. Full Send Podcast recently separated with Bob, which is, I'm, I'm celebrating. Anytime Bob was on there, I was just like, why is he here? But we're going to be breaking down some of the numbers we're pocket watching as far as the podcast and to fully understand just how much money is involved with podcasting and why we going on the way up with this. Super Mario Bros. trailer just released two days ago. I've been waiting for this my entire life as a kid playing Mario games and to finally get an animated Mario movie. We're here for that. We're here for that. Then to end it off with one of the greatest, greatest series in human history, One Piece. Chapter 62, we're going to be discussing it. We're going to be breaking down. Let's get right into it. Joe Budden returning to Complex, I felt should have been a bigger moment watching the episode. It was a best rapper alive topic for the episode where Joe and the host have to choose 16 rappers and between all of them, which one's better than the other one to be the best rapper alive. And before we get into the actual bracket itself, Joe from Everyday Struggle up until this point, all the jabs at Complex, everything they did wrong, whether we're talking about money, management, the way they were setting everything up. To see Joe return again, this should have been a behind the scenes of him entering the building, looking at the building, maybe have some employees like walking in and make it some grand music, more entertaining. But hey, we got Joe sitting in the chair, a cozy chair, a bit of an improvement and breaking down the rapper bracket. Which rapper is better than the other rapper? Now, keep in mind, I said earlier, best rapper alive, right? When I hear best rapper alive, I'm thinking, okay, clearly they're alive. We're not, we're not talking about anyone who passed away. And their entire discography, singles, features, and album up until this point. So I was like, okay, this will be an interesting discussion. Me peeping into Joe Budden's podcast here and there. I more or less have an idea of who's, who he's going to choose. But it was a bit weird throughout, throughout the bracket because there was an emphasis on it has to be sometimes, were they active in 2022? How many projects did they push? Did the feature outweigh projects? And it got to a point where it's like, all right, Complex, of course, dropping the ball, getting it too messy, and Complex doing complex things. Joe pointed it out, but for example, having Drake versus Pusha T for one of the brackets, y'all know why they're doing it. Freddie Gibbs, Benny the Butcher. Y'all know why they're doing it. Cardi B, Nicki Minaj. But aside from that, it brings some interesting discussions. So to go over those complex-like, uh, you know, rapper go-aheads, rapper go-aheads, choosing some of those. Drake and Pusha T as far as best rapper alive. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Obviously, Pusha T. Freddie Gibbs and Benny the Butcher. Freddie got my vote on that. Cardi B versus Nicki. As far as rapping, we giving it to Nicki. And not, not just based on 2022. I mean, yeah, based on 2022, I mean, Nikki been dropping, what, like five, six singles already? Plus, um, she relaunched one of her 
older projects, I believe. That's a no-brainer. And of course, they're doing this for the buzz, for the attention. But this is one of those things like, all right, Cardi B hasn't dropped an album since 2017. So why are we doing the best rapper alive? And she hasn't really been active. And then it gets confusing whenever we see the comparisons that they had Jay-Z versus Nas. Jay-Z's two features in 2022 versus Nas in 2022, nothing. Which, understandably, he didn't drop anything. But if it's Best Rapper Alive, and recently he dropped King's Disease 1, King's Disease 2, and Magic. Jay-Z ain't dropped nothing. Two features? You're telling me God did is gonna outweigh three Nas albums? Absurd. Ridiculous. Entertaining. Definitely entertaining. Seeing Joe choose Jay-Z, I was blown away. I was like, really, Joe? You're going to let the New York bias... What? <laughs> New York bias. You're going to let the Jay-Z bias over Nas? You're going to let that... You're going to let that do Nas like that? It is what it is. Some other questionable votes from Joe was choosing Future over Kanye. As far as best rapper alive. I don't know. I definitely got Kanye over Future. And Nicki Minaj over Tyler, the creator. The reasoning being she's dropped more recent music. But again, this isn't just based on 2022 Best Rapper Alive. So the fact that Joe chose Nicki Minaj is a, you know, over Tyler, the creator. Having Nicki Minaj over Tyler, the creator blew my mind. And if you step back, even without hearing Joe, just ask yourself if this sounds right. Nicki Minaj is a better rapper than Tyler, the creator, because she posted, she released more music in 2022. So she's the best rapper alive in comparison to Tyler, the creator. That sounds messy, right? That's throughout the whole episode. My emotions, they were everywhere. Overall, it was entertaining. It was dope seeing Joe return to complex and be chill, laid back, have some fun with, I would like to assume, uh, I keep forgetting the host's name, but just having fun with the entire bracket, being more laxed. and. I would like to see more of these episodes. But getting into the next topic, Lil Yachty bringing the walk to Poland. This track smacked me by surprise. I felt like I was drowning in lean. It's hilarious. It's entertaining. It's only about a minute and 30 seconds, but it's catching them. It's catching the internet by storm. Whether it's the hook when Yachty is singing walk and is sort of trebling and shaking, there's something addictive about it. There's a part of me that wants to hate on it. Like, yo, this is it. Like, this is a track that we all gonna love and hype up. At first, I was just like, it's not gonna happen. Then I heard it once, twice, eight listens later, I'm just like, I get it. I get why Lil Yachty swam all the way to Poland to bring the walk. I understand why it was so pivotal for Lil Yachty to go through this journey all the way to Poland to secure the walk. I understand it. Now, this was a track that was recorded in 2021, but until recently, around August 31st, that's when we would have heard the snippet because it was leaked and it was floating around online. Lil Yachty wasn't rocking with the leak. And here we finally have it. Cole Bennett is currently working on a lyrical lemonade music music video for it. And that's definitely going to give it more life. And I'm excited to see the music video. I hope this, hope this track does crazy numbers. If it somehow happens to enter the Billboard charts, if it does, Damn, that's, that's something, right? BET Awards and Performances. Y'all know how I am about award shows. Y'all know it's going to sound hypocritical. Why do we care? This caught my attention because I love seeing Kendrick Lamar win anything and everything. 
I, I believe Kendrick Lamar should have won everything, to be real. Maybe not the featured verse. That belongs to Drake. But we like when I, I like when I see these things. There was a performance that caught my attention in the BET Awards that made me a bigger fan of the song. And then, of course, some of the usual stuff that happens with award shows, whether it's snubs, whether it's rigged. Let's get right into it. Kendrick Lamar winning Best Lyricist. Hip-hop album, Mr. Rao and the Big Steppers. Producer that won was... I don't know. My notes just got butchered. But going over to Hip Hop Artist of the Year, Kendrick Lamar, uh, music video, Family Ties, Breakthrough, Glorilla, Collaboration, Future, Drake, and Thames with... Yeah, y'all already know the track. Do I really need to say the name? Wait for you. Going over Song of the Year, Big Energy by Lotto. Listen, I don't think I've even heard the song. If someone were to play me Big Energy right now, I don't believe I heard it, but I know for damn sure everybody at some point, every citizen in the United States of America, whether it's through somebody else, has heard Super Gremlin at one point. That should have won Song of the Year, but again, award shows, BET Awards, definitely some politics in the background as far as Lotto winning that. Best Duo Group, Earth Gang, Best Guest Verse, Churchill Downs, Video Director, Kendrick and Dave Free. And as far as platforms, I believe it was Drink Champs that won. I watch Drink Champs time to time. That's, that's a solid choice. Now, Kendrick winning most of these. I love Drake with the featured verse and with a collaboration with Wait For You. Future intense on that as well. Love it as well. Song of the year. Again, going to big energy. Instead of Super Gremlin. Not understanding it. Not understanding it at all. And then here comes the usual part of the award shows. Kodak talk about how everything's rigged. They just use them for the show, so on and so forth. We know how it goes. We know what happens. If you, here's one thing though. If you're not prepared to show up and lose, don't complain. Don't complain because there's only going to be one winner in these categories. There's only going to be one winner. Don't set yourself up for failure in that way. Going on from there, Joey Badass's performance on the BET Awards. Loved it. Loved the fact that they had Joey Badass on there. And then, when it comes to this one specific track, Beat All the Odds. I, did I butcher it? <laughs> I, I definitely believe I, I butchered it. Look, I got, I got y'all right here. This is going to be a slight hiatus here. Lil TJ Beat the Odds. This was a song when I first heard it, I thought it was pretty dope. When I, then I saw the live performance. I was like, all right, that's in my rotation now. It's in my rotation. I feel like it's a soundtrack to my life. For the past 24 hours, any obstacle, anything I had to overcome, even if it's as simple as, I don't know, making myself food, I beat the odds. I beat the odds. Now, going into some of the numbers, some statistics, we're going to be going over accolades. Eminem and Juice World's Godzilla surpassed 1 billion streams recently. This is monumental. Seeing Eminem engage himself with a newcomer. I wouldn't even say a newcomer. I mean, at the time with somebody from the younger generation and make a hit, a song that's catchy, that sounds fresh. It doesn't sound too overly technical, stale, and has a great amount of replayability. You love to see it. One billion streams. And this is a track that's forever just going to be a classic in Eminem discographies, as well as Juice World. Older generation, new generation, two worlds collide. Spectacular. Futures Wait For You broke the record at number one on the mainstream R&B and hip-hop airplay charts. This seems like a very specific part of a chart. We're not talking about Billboard Hot 100s. 
However, wait for you dropping this year, future Drake and Thames just going, doing in angelic things on the track. I mean, we just love the melodies, the vocals, and to be accomplishing this, regardless if it's a more specific chart, number one records being broken, definitely got to have some love for it. J. Cole on 90 Proof, potentially hinting at a Rihanna feature. J. Cole said about to go pull up on Riri and not for the feature on Smino's 90 Proof track. However, I have a feeling this is definitely for the feature verse, unless it's a music video. Maybe to have her in a music video, beside that, we're definitely going to get feature verse. Or at least I will hope so. It's been forever since Rihanna's dropped an album, Anti, and it's been forever since she's dropped music as well. But actually, I take that back. I think 2019 with Party Next Door, Believe It, I don't know if that was the last time, but it's been that long. Scorpion has more Spotify streams than all 419 of NBA Youngboy's songs combined. Scorpion has 8.4 billion streams on Spotify and Youngboy has 7.8 billion streams on Spotify. To have one of Drake's album completely eclipse damn near Youngboy's discography, insane. Insane. Say what you want about Scorpion quality-wise as far as how much you enjoy commercially. Even at the time of its release, I just remember every other month that album just another plat, another plat, another 500K. We got about four or five songs spinning on the radio. And at the time, more enjoyable than it was now. It happens. Going on from there, Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid Mad City has charted longer than all 13 of Jay-Z's albums combined. Good Kid Mad City has been charting for 518 weeks. Jay-Z has been charting for 489 weeks. All of his albums combined. Not just one. Kendrick's Good Kid Mad City, 518. I believe is um, like one or two weeks higher now. And Jay-Z, all of his albums, 489 weeks. Not including, of course, his collab, collab albums. From there, Nicki Minaj has more chart entries than the next four female rappers combined. That's insane. The next four being Cardi with 41, Missy Elliott with 33, Megan, Meg Thee Stallion with 29, and Doja Cat with 21. More than the next four rappers. Insane numbers. From there, something that I noticed, Bad Bunny is the only artist in 2022 to drop an album that has five songs with more than 500 million streams. Five songs, over 500 million streams on an album that dropped this year. Moscow Meow, Mi Poto Bonito, Titi Me Pregunta, Efecto, Ojitos Lindos. All five of them. Callaita, we could count that technically, but it technically didn't drop this year, but it was in the album this year. So technically it could be six, depending on how you want to go about it. We're just going to stick with the five. So now that we have some, some of the numbers taken care of, Let's, just, let's have a little bit more entertainment out here. Me being on the YouTube space, I'm in this, I wouldn't say conflict, but I could easily make videos on whoever is big on YouTube and just capitalize on it. This isn't to shame or to diss anybody that does it, but it's something right now that, okay, how can I leverage it to where it's favorable to me? In a way that if I were to go on YouTube myself, I would click on the video. Like, I would be entertained by this. Because, you know, YouTube, 
as far as people calling each other out, as far as drama, 24-7. You got that 24-7. But this one, it just caught my eyes and it's like, okay, I get this guy. Logan Paul calling Bad Bunny out for abusing Puerto Rican tax laws in Puerto Rico. To me, it's ridiculous because number one, take advantage of any tax law. Take advantage of any tax law. Number two, Bad Bunny is from Puerto Rico. Well, what, what is there? What is there to really shame him on? Now, by me saying take advantage of any tax laws, I'm not the kind of person that makes it seem like anybody that takes advantage of tax laws is evil. Anybody and everybody should be in the position to take advantage of tax laws because we don't want to pay taxes. We're going to shame somebody else because they found a way of not to pay taxes if it's done legally. At the end of the day, I'm all for it, whether it's PR, whether it's America, whether it's anywhere else. Because the people, I believe the people that shame other people for paying less than taxes or not paying enough, y'all just jealous because you're not doing it. That's got to be it. How can you be mad at someone else because they're paying less than taxes? It's just because you're not doing it. And that's as far as I'm going to go in this discussion. But to me, just like, you got money too. Why, why, why you got to hate because he's doing better with the money than you? That's as deep as I'll go. Because at the same time, I don't know the exact laws, how it's allegedly being abused, but coming from Logan Paul, I ain't trying to hear it. Now, DJ Drama was recently asked, what's the best Drake verse over the past couple years? DJ Drama's response was, Drake's Churchill Down feature on Jack Harlow's track. Churchill Down. And I, I gotta agree. Number one, DJ Drama definitely chose this because it's his own artist's track, Jack Harlow. But number two, Drake, oh man, he, he wiped the floor with that feature. He wiped the floor with that feature. And the part at the end where he's doing the, the whip and the spirit, I was just like, damn, what the, what? We had to go, we had to take it to that level, but I was just like, it's fire. It was fire. Whenever, that, whenever it gets to that part of the track, I just be in the car. I just, whoopsh, that. <laughs> Mentally. <laughs> How can I put this? I, I forgot the technical term for the bars that, you know, you pronounce the action. But we need more rappers to do that. We need whether, I mean, gunshots, we hear from time to time people reenacting gunshot noises. But from the spit and the whip, I was just like, all right, Dre, that's imaginative right there. Definitely imaginative. And then I have this question to ask you guys. Is this Drake's best feature verse over the past couple years? Churchill Down with Jack Harlow. Is this the best Drake feature? Me? Depends. Well, what do we mean by over the past couple years? Over the past two or three years. And over the past two or three years, maybe even stretching it to four, I believe this is the best Drake feature. Oh, yeah. Most definitely best Drake feature we've had in a good amount of time. Now, going on from there, we're going to be pocket watching a bit. Full Send Podcast has split with Bob. Uh, as far as all the details behind the scenes stuff, I don't know too much other than the fact they're not seeing eye to eye when it comes to the money. Now, Kyle revealed this is some of the, th- these were the agree- agreements with Bob's as far as the pay splits, 30% of the ad revenue. 7.5K per episode, 50% of podcast merch, and all expenses covered by Full Send. I, I would easily, hey, Full Send, sign me up right now. This sounds lucrative. This sounds amazing. And seeing as how the Full Send podcast has escalated to a point where a million views, that ain't nothing hard. They're 
bringing in the views and to have 30% of ad revenue, 30%, 50% of podcast merch. That in itself, I feel already eclipses 7.5K per episode and the expenses being covered. But hey, I feel that's like, that's a cherry on top, on top of everything. As far as the Full Send podcast in itself, I dibble dabble in a couple episodes, dibble dabble. When have I ever said that in my life? There's a couple episodes that I, that get my attention depending on the guest. My personal favorite has to be the one with Polly D. Being that I can't remember besides that any other Polly D interviews that I felt I got a lot more information that I didn't know before. New information, fun discussions, a couple good laughs. Other episodes of Full Spam Podcast, they are, right? Um, they're entertaining. You know, it's nothing too heavy where, how, how would I put this? They do a great job at entertaining the audience. However, when it comes to genuinely getting some information from the person they interviewed that you didn't already know, there isn't much of that. Like when it came, when it comes to music artists that get on there, it almost feels like they don't even know the songs they drop. Whether it's Dirk, whether it's Baby, it almost feels like they get on the podcast and they just ask them questions that it's just like, do you even listen to the artist? Like, did you even listen to the music at least before they got on here? Or look at some of the numbers, some of the charts. Just want to give some, some, some of my thoughts as far as a Full Send podcast. And then we're going to end it off with entertainment. I mean, not just typical entertainment. We're going to be ending this episode off on video games and, and, and manga. The two, two best things in the world. Sorry, Vlad. Video games are amazing. Even though I, don't, I haven't been playing video games in a while. I miss it. Super Mario Bros. trailer just released about two days ago. We have Chris Pat voicing Mario. I was excited to see, you know, actually seeing the Mario character and the voice. How would it mesh in together? And to me, surprisingly, it didn't, didn't seem off. I was like, okay, it's, it was blending. But one of the things I love about the trailer so far is, number one, Bowser's presence in the movie feels, you feel the pressure. You feel the aggression. You feel... The danger that is Bowser having his entire sort of fleet kingdom just slowly crept into the ice kingdom, destroying buildings right before it fully lands. Having all the Koopas aligned, shivering, shaking, making noises. Seeing Bowser walk by felt like a threat. I felt they did great on the size. They didn't make him overwhelmingly large to us like a big bad, but it's just like, all right, he's the leader of the Koopas. He definitely got some size. He's been hitting the gym, easily benching about two tons. And the way they sort of, um, the, I believe the wizard sort of, it almost feels like they worship him. I was just like, I'm in awe of this. And the comedy that comes in this trailer isn't coming from jokes. We, we might get that when we get another trailer, even the movie. But to see how the penguins in the Ice Kingdom, in order to fight Bowser, they, they just, you know, it sounds badass, epic. The, the soundtrack at the moment, everything's building up and then they're throwing snowballs. And then Bowser and everyone's just like getting hit. I think one Koopa probably gets whacked, uh, whacked back and the main penguin being, you know, basically surrender before we have to use our force. And then Bowser just unleashes a crazy fire breath. Or not even the wizard lifts up the Koopas, demolishes them. And then Bowser decimates the entire Ice Kingdom with his breath. And then when it gets time to get the star, he becomes highly animated, excited to finally grab it. And it was just so much done through the animation that through Bowser's body language screamed, I'm the big bag. I'm a big threat. And you got to watch out for me. 
And at the same time, being able to see him get excited over the stars shows that we got personality in there. It isn't just a big brolic boss that, you know, big brolic threat that everyone's like, oh, we got to beat the big bag. It's like, he got personality. He definitely, the way Bowser is carrying himself, we're going to have some fun with the character. It isn't just going to be one dimensional, multiple angles. And not to the point where it's like, whoa, this is very thought provocative. This is very... We're going to have a lot of interesting perspectives as far as his decisions and choices. Now, it ain't going to get that deep, but it's just like, he might just end up being my favorite character. Going into Mario, leaving the pipe, going into, I want to say the Mushroom Kingdom, the art. Mario's art is phenomenal. It's beautiful. But seeing it animated at this level, shouts out Illumination Studios. It was breathtaking. The details on the fabric. The greens, the red from the mushrooms, seeing all these colors just mesh in perfectly. And then seeing the, um, the small toad, I feel he's going to be a bit of com- uh, comedic relief. Just pop out of nowhere with Mario originally as they make their way to the kingdom. I felt like a little kid again. I felt like a little kid. Amazing. Can't wait for the movie. Now to end off this episode in a highlight, One Piece chapter 1062, where Finally at a point where we're getting more answers than questions. I've been saying it throughout the past couple chapters. The last bit from Luffy fighting Kaido and onward, more revelations, less questions. The pacing, it feels like we're, we're, we're running through this. And it was exciting to see more information as far as Vegapunk. Is the girl we see as Vegapunk, the real Vegapunk, what exactly is going on here? And to start off, chronological order with the chapter, Frankie... Loving the fact, oh, damn, seeing all the mech suits, the fact Vegapunk, he based all his, uh, most of his research. It was like three, three individuals, things spit flying at the screen, my fault. Seeing all the research, being influenced by Vegapunk, he's fangirling. Usopp, fangirling. Frankie, fangirling over the fact that Dr. Vegapunk is a girl. And we get confirmation in this chapter that her name is Lilith, Lilith Vegapunk02. So a second Vegapunk. In total, there's six. I'm going to be breaking, down, breaking this down in a bit. The panel of all the CBs surrounding the Thousand Sunny, badass. Even more badass, the fact that Zoro was calm. And something that I believe, it wasn't the OG Vegapunk, but Vegapunk number one, Shaka, he noted, hey, that's the Straw Hats. Ooh, we got the hype. We got the hype. It, it ain't some pirates. That's the Straw Hats, the newly appointed Yonko crew. That is Pirate Hunter Zoro. Not, not CMOS, not the Green Kaido, Pirate Hunter Zoro, which before I continue, I got a bit of issue with that. Me and you both know that Zoro ain't, hasn't been hunting any pirates since damn near the beginning of One Piece. That's a title he earned in East Blue. And that could probably be the, that could probably be one of the only things you can nitpick about One Piece as far as Zoro is that he hasn't lived up to the title once he was recruited with Luffy. And that's being a pirate hunter. At this point of the story, I feel pirate hunter should have been gone. It should have been something else, something related to whether it's his demon's blades, the way he has on. I don't know. I can't really tell you, but pirate hunter just doesn't fit. But it's badass though. It's badass. We're definitely getting hype with it. And Devil Child Nico Robin. We're, y'all, y'all, we had a point with the Straw Hats. They're that Yonko crew. That's them. The Straw Hats, 
the Yonko crew, you don't want to mess with them. Their name alone, their name alone, their reputation is enough to stop violence, to stop any kind of beef. Listen, it's not even going to incite other people to try to check them. It's not. Some people say, oh, because they're a Yonko crew now. By some people, I mean, I'll just say some people for the sake of it. Whether I'm having discussions with other people on the internet or certain One Piece YouTubers throwing it out like, oh, now they got to be careful because people are going to try them. Don't try Yonko crew. For, for, for the love of your life, don't do it. But Zoro specifically telling Shaka that he wants something from him. Zoro under the impression that's the OG Vegapunk. We'll see how things go. And then Shaka being like, hey, come on, let's take him to the island. I have a use for them. I have use for them. So going from here, I didn't realize this was a thing. It could be my fault. But Bonnie confirming Kuma is her dad. Apparently, that's been a theory that people have been guessing for the longest time. It's like, finally, they confirmed it. I don't know. I was just like, damn, I'm pretty sure I've been on top of my One Piece theories. When did this happen? But hey, it happened. Kuma is Bonnie's father officially confirmed. Which this ties in. Kuma being Bonnie's father on this arc is tied into Thriller Bark. Because in Thriller Bark, the first time we get introduced to Kuma, and now in this arc, it's the first time we get introduced to the Kuma Seraphim. And now we're getting more story coming from Kuma as far as being a father to Bonnie. Introduced in Thriller Bark. Here we are, fast forward. Introduced to the Serum. And now Kuma's backstory, most likely. Aside from the information we got from the Revolutionary Army, certain things with Kuma, I genuinely believe we're going to get more of his backstory, especially having his daughter, Bonnie, right here. The damn Vegapunk amusement park. That reminds me of the Disney movie Soul. Whenever they're, I'm just going to call it heaven. And they're trying, uh, what's her name? 22. She's trying everything, every career in that one world where I'm losing you, aren't I? I'm losing my voice. Where she gets to try out anything she wants. It's almost like holograms, but not really holograms because she could really touch it. Vegapunk amusement park filled with holograms. That's the best way I want to describe it. It was fun seeing Luffy and Chopper go ballistic, go crazy, get excited, and then go through these holograms. Because at first, I'm like, oh, damn, we got, got other beasts, other monsters in here. We're seeing things on the te- technological side of things be as advanced as they are. Um, the little cloudy with a chance of meatballs machine right there where they're able to create any food. I found, I was just like, is that a link? Cloudy with a chance of meatballs in this? Are we doing a little callback or are we just having it for the sake of if we can make any food. Vegapunk 06, her name being Yoke, the Vegapunk for Desire, has these photonic gloves that's able to punch these holograms. She breaks down on how these gloves are able to interact with light. I don't know how this is going to play out later on in the arc. I don't even know if I could attach it to hockey or I don't know, foreshadow anything related to hockey, but some interesting stuff to see. Luchi and CP0 being in this, at this point of One Piece doesn't make any sense. I believe we're too late for Luchi and the crew to genuinely be, any, be a threat to the Straw Hats. And if Luchi, for whatever reason, ends up becoming a threat or doing anything damaging to, let's say, Luffy, it's not going to make any sense. I believe at this point, Luffy in his base form, he's going to knock Luchi out. And Luchi and his crew is sort of feeling like Team Rocket from Pokemon. Because almost every single, any time we see them or they're a part of something, it's just no real impact from them. And if they do finally go face to face, 
it's not going to end up well. From a narrative standpoint, I don't understand their purpose with the way things ended off in Water 7. I thought that was a great conclusion. No need to reintroduce Lucci, really. They, they ain't no, I don't, under, I don't understand what Oda has planned. I just don't, I'm not enjoying this. As far as a threat, power-wise, I don't believe they're much stronger than even Usopp. That might be the inner Usopp fan of me saying he's not going to be anything. Lucci not going to be anything to Usopp. But if he is going to run to the Straw Hat crew, I would love for Usopp to defeat Lucci sort of circle around that comment that the next enemy you're going to have to be is me, if I remember that correctly from Water 7. And as far as anything else, we're not done. We got Vegapunk 1 through 6. Vegapunk 1 being Shaka, his name Shaka, Logic. Vegapunk 2, Lilith being evil. Vegapunk 3, Edison has the flair personality. Vegapunk 4, Wisdom, the name being Pythagoras. Vegapunk 5, Atlas, the name Atlas, personality being Wrath, and then Vegapunk 6, Yoke, personality being Desire. That's everything for this episode, Vivian Nectar Podcast, episode 245. This was a long one. This was a long one today. Thank you for tuning in this, this far into the episode. If you haven't done so already, drop a like on the YouTube, subscribe. If you're listening to this on streaming platforms, depending on the platform, Drop a comment. Let me know how you guys feel about the podcast. I'm not going to tell you to drop five stars, but, you know, just whatever comment, whatever rating you want to give it. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube, go give it a subscribe. We're building it up. We're building it up. And I'll catch you guys on the next one.